Please turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. And we are going to go from there into chapter 3 as we share this first covenant that we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. We're going to share the eight covenants of the Bible. I love, I love inspiration. I love evangelism. I love information and education. I love to meet a Christian who will give their testimony that they've trusted in Jesus and tell you how good God is. And I love to talk to the Christian that knows doctrine of the Bible and will sit and share doctrine and teaching of God's word with you and be grounded in God's word. My pest control man is one. I mean, we can just go the for for hours. We could go on talking about it. And it's it's just really impressive Either are, but it's real impressive in a great way to know the the doctrines and the foundational truths of God's word. And I believe eight covenants of the Bible for us to learn them and know them and for God to help me to teach them that that we will be blessed and we will know more about our God and and the the requirements or the desires that he has for his relationship with man. Even a covenant that, that is a conditional covenant that's no longer in existence. It still tells a lot about God and his desires, his expectations for man. Now, last week, we all, we all shared these covenants and we, we listed all eight of them at the end of the service. And, uh, though we talked about them last week by way of two different types of covenants. There are conditional covenants and there are unconditional covenants. They weren't in timeline order, but this week we will start and we will go through all of these in timeline order. And by the way, for the timeline order, it will be the Edenic covenant first. And then we will go to the Adamic covenant, then the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and then we have the Davidic covenant and Davidic covenant and the new covenant. So tonight we're going to share the Edenic covenant, the first covenant, and we are going to start in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. But but as we get started in this Edenic covenant, let, let us uh, refresh ourselves in understanding that this is God's covenant to Adam, and, and Adam was representation of the entire human race in this covenant, okay? Now, this is the first covenant from the very beginning in God's dealings with mankind. It's the first one, and it offers blessings, it offers privileges, it, it offers a decision to be made by man's own free will, the Edenic covenant, it is the only covenant that was given to man in his time of innocence, in his time of sinlessness. He had not been tested. He had not been tried. And so he didn't have those experiences that we will see in the other covenants. He had not even been tempted. It was God's covenant to newly 
created man, okay? And so for this Edenic covenant, we're going to look at seven provisions tonight in this covenant. Uh, I say seven provisions, uh, seven stipulations, or seven requirements in detail that God made when God made covenant to Adam. And we're going to break them up by different points because there's some different things about these uh, provisions that were made. And so we're going to call the first several the tasking of the covenant the tasking of the covenant now if you would look with me in verse 28 i'll tell you what let's read the whole thing and then we're going to be here for quite a while in verse 28 it says and god blessed them and god said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth we'll just stop right there because we see a couple of provisions right there in that verse and the first provision that we have in this covenant is is the 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 commission to be fruitful and to multiply okay now the earth was created to be the habitation for mankind You understand that God made the earth and God made all of the things that were in the earth in the first five days. And then on the sixth day, he made man. And and so it makes sense because God had earth for man to take it up as a habitation. And by the way, in all that creating in the first six days, God was doing all of that through Jesus Christ. There are some people believe that Jesus Christ began whenever he was born of a virgin, whenever he manifested himself upon this earth. But, but there's the pre-existence of Christ. You understand that Jesus Christ had no beginning. He is eternal. He has no beginning and He has no end. And Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9 tells us that God created all things by Jesus Christ. So God was creating in the first day, six days, and He was doing it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first provision here is to be fruitful and to multiply that the commission that was given to man was to populate the earth and then in verse 28 right after that first provision we see the next one that man was to subdue the earth lucifer had some authority and lucifer had some power but he lost that authority and he lost that power and god made man and god gave man authority over the earth and the things in it that he had made he was to subdue the earth that means to bring it under control that means what god gave man to do was have mastery over the material environment okay man wasn't to pollute the earth but man was to use the resources of the earth and to have authority but now we have another one right there in the same verse that man was to have dominion over all living things so now man's authority is understood at not only being over the material environment of this earth but it extends 
extends over all living creatures the dominion that God gave man. The animal kingdom of the air, the animal kingdom in the sea, the animal kingdom on the land. God had given man dominion over it all that that they would be all put underneath man's rule. And we see the first exercising of the authority of man over animal when we turn to Genesis 2 and we look at verses 19 and 20. It says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to all the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. So we see man exercising his authority by giving name to the, to the animals. And I'm afraid we've regressed a little bit, maybe. We're just kind of decaying a little bit. Our cell phones are becoming our minds for us. Adam had all of these names committed to memory. And that was showing his authority. It was a higher intelligence in the human being than it was in the animal. You know, the animal's not going to give an account to God for their thoughts and their moral attitude. But man is. And man showed his dominance there uh, in the beginning with the exercising his authority in the naming of these lower creatures. And though man had dominion over the animal kingdom, at this point in time in the Edenic covenant, he, he couldn't eat of it. He couldn't eat of the animal, though he had dominion over it. And, and we're going to go into something about that in the next point. But let me stop for just a minute as we consider these first three provisions that God has made. Because, because the provisions were, be fruitful and multiply, and subdue the earth, and have dominion over all living things. Now what we're going to see at the end of this covenant tonight is that the Edenic covenant is a conditional covenant and it ended. However, these three provisions still continue on today. And we see that it continually goes on. But now there's a change that we see as we look in the next provision, and it's man's diet provision. Uh, Genesis 1, 19, uh, 29 and 30. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree which is in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you. It shall be for meat. Let me just stop right there. And and the Bible's not contradictory there. You see the word meat. That word meat simply means food. The herb was their food and and they were not meat eaters at that time. OK, man's authority did not allow him to shed the blood of the animal in this covenant. Man's authority did not allow him to eat the flesh of the animal in this covenant. A man was a vegetarian at this point. It kind of reminds me of granddaddy going to the doctor and He's, he's here he is in his mid 80s and all his life, his vegetable at the table has been macaroni and cheese. 
And, and so his health is declining some. And he's looking at this list of foods the doctor gave him to eat. And he's looking at him and he says, and he always loved to, to shoot smart comments at the doctor. He even walked in the doctor's in one of the rooms when he was with a patient, interrupting him, telling him what to prescribe him. But anyway, he looks at this list and he says to the doctor, so I need to go out in the field and I need to start grazing. And if I taste anything good, I need to spit it out of my mouth. And the doctor kind of laughed and said, well, that's kind of basically about it. Now, that's what man did during the Edenic Covenant. Now, he didn't know any better. He didn't know what he was missing. Man had never had a hamburger. Man had never had bacon before. So, so he was okay. This wasn't a burden in the Edenic Covenant, but he hadn't had it before. He didn't know what he was missing, so he was all right. Kind of like me. I never went on a vacation, a family vacation, before I was married. And, and uh, you know, Shelly was like, oh, poor you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, I'd never, I didn't know what I was missing, you know. And so man didn't know what he was missing, but, but man's diet was strictly a vegetarian. Now let's go into the fifth provision that we see, and that is that man was to dress and to keep the garden. Uh, go to Genesis 2.15 as we look at this one. It says, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. All right. Now, after the fall of man, man labored hard. I mean, and he worked by the sweat of his brow and it was hard work. And pay attention when I say this the, now. Before the fall of man, there wasn't work, there wasn't labor like that, but man did not take a lot of reeds and sew him together a hammock and lay in it while Eve came and fed him uh, fruit right into his mouth or anything like that. It wasn't just complete leisure before the fall in the Edenic covenant. There, It wasn't work, but it was a work type ethic that was given to the first man he was to oversee and he was to keep now now i think about gardeners today nolan gardens and and jeff maxi gardens and wesley doskasil gardens and terry metter gardens and and i'm sure many others do and it's hard work today i mean there you you have to get the soil just right you know, you, you want the right amount of sun, the right amount of water, and, and you want to make some compost through the off season, and you want to get it just right, and you want that seed to grow, and you, you pray, and you till, and you work, and you do everything you can, and you're hoping for a good crop. Now, the land produced much easier then, and the work wasn't, it wasn't work then, but there was a, a, a keeping up of it. And there was something given for man to do. I don't know anything about the personal life of, of Denzel Washington, an actor. And I don't talk about actors much and I don't listen to what they say. But I just happened to see him in an interview, not in a movie, but an interview on TV. And he was talking about an office he had at his house and an office he had in the building down the road. And he said, even when I don't have anything to do, I get up and I go to my office at the house in the morning. Or I get up and I go to my office down the road. Because a man ought to get up and work 
And, you know, it's something good for man to do. And so Adam had something systematic in a responsibility that he was to do even before the fall. I mean, laziness has never been good. And, and so it was a provision that was given to Adam to dress and to keep the garden. So there we look at these five provisions and we consider the tasking of this covenant. But now let's go down and let's look at the testing of the covenant. Because to this point so far, we have all thou shalts. Everything that has been given, nothing is a burden. Okay? But now we have a thou shalt not. All right? Man was forbidden to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look with me in chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 17. It says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Let's just look at the first part of that verse so far. A thou shalt not was given to man. It was a test for man. It wasn't a tempting for man. In the book of James, it says, when you're tempted, don't say that you're tempted of God. God doesn't tempt. God didn't tempt Abraham with Isaac. He does, that's not temptation. But God does give his people tests. And by the way, we might, we might want to stop and consider that in our everyday life. That what we're going through, can we consider that God has a test that he's given us in everything we go through, that we would have peace with everything we do, that we wouldn't be going against the conscience, that we wouldn't be going against God in what we do. So here we have this, and it was a test that was given to the first man, and, and it's in the same way. We have tests today, but it was the only thou shalt not, okay, in the entire Edenic covenant. It was given by God's pleasure. It wasn't given to do anything wrong to Adam, to curse Adam. It was good. Everything God does is good. The Bible says that he doeth all things well. So you understand that this testing in the covenant, it was something good given from God to man to test his response according to his free will as to whether he would be obedient or whether he would be disobedient to God. It would determine what his love was and his respect for God. And this tree was very appropriately named according to this one thou shalt not. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what we find here in this tree is the, and the naming of it is the value of goodness. And then we also see the evil of sin. All right. So we understand what's going on here with this. One thou shalt not. One thou shalt not that was given to man that he 
that he wouldn't eat of the tree. And, and so we, we've just shared why, to see if he would be obedient or disobedient. What would be something else that we could clearly see and understand that God was doing here by giving him a thou shalt not? Because as we think about it, God had given him dominion and authority over all the earth. So by having something he couldn't do, he could see that he was not exempt from God's law. Okay? That, that he could not operate and act independent of God. It's unbelievable the amount of Christians that just seem to think that they can do that. Unfortunately, we run into them sometimes that, that they have a free pass in some way because they have some kind of condition or some kind of position and they just have a free pass and they're not accountable to God. Look, every single Christian is accountable to keep God's law and to not operate independent of God. There is no one left out. There is no church member of this church left out, including Pastor Stone and I as members of this church, that, that we can act independently of God. That we have a, a, a get, it, get out of jail free card for what we do. It's, it's kind of red tape. It's kind of borderline in a gray area, which there is no gray area. But we say that and we just think that some can think that they can just do that. There is not one single Christian that is exempt from answering to God. There is not one single church member that is not going to affect the church in some way by their decisions, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Our personal life, the decisions we make, the moral actions we act by, we are going to give an account. And there is going to be effect on God's church for doing that. I, I don't see how someone could just think that they're in some kind of cubby hole and they could do whatever they want without answering for it. Because that's what Satan did. That's exactly what happened to Lucifer. And God forbid we be deceived to a point where, where we just follow in his footsteps. I hope you're glad I said that tonight. I hope you're glad we're talking about that tonight. Look, because it happens. Unfortunately, I've seen it. I'll tell you a vague story without details real quick. But, but there was someone and, and what this Christian in a position, a high position, and what they were involved in wasn't what Paul told the church to reprimand that young man for in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, but it was very similar. It was in the category, and this was going on. And it should have been called out by an immediate church, but it was called out by a preacher that really, really did care, and he wanted to see the right thing done. So this person in ministry grabbed some people in his circle of people that he's friends with and had a meeting on a Saturday and pretty much brushed off what he did as, well, I was in the world for a little bit and I'm back out of the world now and did a little tap dance or something. I don't know, 
But that was it. And they continued on going through the motions of ministry. You know, it's one thing to really be serving. It's another thing to go be going through the motions when the life is contradictory. And what happened to this person that thought that they could operate independent and thought they didn't have to answer, they hit a brick wall. I'm not talking about a little literal brick wall, but I'm talking about their ministry ended up getting shut down. Only God know, only God knows what he did in that. But but just think about it just for a minute. All the dominion God gave man and he wanted to see his obedience and disobedience and it also let him know that he did not have a free pass and no one does. He would answer to God, okay? So though God gave some dominion uh, to man, he tested his obedience as to whether he would be obedient to God. So there's the testing of the covenant, but there's something else in that testing of the covenant. God was serious and he let him know of a penalty in this one thou shalt not provision. What does it say there? We already know in chapter 2 verse 17. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam, I've given you dominion, but I've given you an opportunity for obedience and disobedience. And there are consequences and I mean it. So, so God gave man the decision to make. And if he would, and if he would obey God, I mean, that was good. If he disobeyed God, then he would die. In that day, he would die. In that day, he would not die physically, but in that day, he would die spiritually in separation from God. The communication after the fall, it wasn't the same as before the fall. And so the relationship was severed. If he, if he were to eat, we're not there yet. But let's go ahead and look at the tempting in the covenant now. Go with me to... Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read up to the middle of verse 6. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Let me go ahead and stop right there 
as we look at the tempting in the covenant, we see the agent of temptation in this covenant, and it is an erect serpent, a beautiful serpent that is apparently upright, a cunning creature, and a beautiful creature, which we know is Satan behind the scenes, and he comes to tempt. And he showed his subtlety by approaching the woman. The Bible calls the woman the weaker vessel. Now that is not belittling a woman when we understand what is being said there. That is giving the the man an instruction to love her and to sacrifice for her and to be there for her. But he approaches the, the weaker vessel, okay? You know, and as we say that, we think about uh, deacons through the years that maybe some of you have known and, and, and some of their wives have outworked the, the deacons in the church. Thank God for, for women of God, you know. Uh, but Eve was here after Adam, so Eve may have not had as much knowledge as Adam. And so, and so there's a targeting of the woman by the subtlety of this enemy, Satan. Satan targeted the weaker vessel. And he goes to her, and he does not bring up the subject of being fruitful and multiplying. He doesn't bring up the subject of subduing the earth. That, that hurts him. That one hurts right there. He doesn't bring anything up but the thou shalt not. He goes to the thou shalt not... And he gets her focus on that fruit. You know, it's not the same today as it was for Eve then. There wasn't a sin nature yet. But it reminds me of a teenager who came to my house one time. And, and several of them were over. And one goes upstairs. And my daughter was in her room. And I, I was just joking. All these t- teenagers are great and always have been. But I said, I said uh, touch my daughter's doorknob, you're going to get hurt. And uh, and we laughed about it, okay. But as he's going up the stairs, I heard him whisper, that makes me want to. And, and, and so look, the subtlety of Satan, he goes to the one thing that sh- that she was not to do. That was given by God by way of provision. He gets her focus on the fruit of the tree. And in that subtlety, look... He is a great executor of tempting God's children. That's what that liar and that slanderer and that deceiver does. He tempts God's children. And and we see something about Eve as as the serpent has approached Eve. Look notice notice what God said in chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now go with me to chapter 3, if you would, real quick, and and verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Lest you die? God didn't say that. Eve is adding to the word of God. 
Eve is not handling the word of God. And let me tell you something. Satan knew it. Satan picked up on it. He, he, he rejects the word of God. He hates the word of God. But he knows the word of God. And he knows what it says. And that was just inspiring. And that was just motivating for him to continue to pursue her with that focus on the fruit. I guarantee you Satan caught that. And he continued with his corrupt agenda with that fruit. And he got her to focus on it. And Satan took her down a little trip. He took her down a little trip of three avenues. Three avenues of temptation. And it's the same three avenues of temptation that you and I have today. You can turn with me if you want to 1 John 2.16. And it says, For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And these are the exact three avenues that Satan took her down. We see that she saw that the tree was good for food. This appealed to her physically. The, the lusts of the flesh. But not only did she see the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes. Oh, what those eyes do. It appealed to her emotionally, and he got her by the lust of the eyes. And then it was desired to make one wise. It appeared to her spiritually concerning the pride of of life and everything we do these three things are going to try to come down an avenue to taint our decisions that we make even still to this day i don't know anyone's testimony better than my own and i'll just be real transparent and and give you one i i'm just i'm just uh, i'll just give you the one that came to my mind because almost nine years ago, uh, I was pastoring a church and I got a call from this church uh, as an opportunity to come be the assistant pastor of this church. And I prayed and I fretted and I thought about it for four days. And I, let me tell you something. I'll tell you like the I'll tell you like the uh, the the chaplain down in the Houston jails tells those guys that come in. When they tell when they tell this chaplain their foolish story, he says, you need to check up from the neck up, man. You need to go sit in your cell and you need to check up from the neck up. Let me tell you something. I had to do a check up from the neck up. I had to be aware of these three avenues because I could have looked for things that would have been a, a benefit, a benefit to me selfishly or personally. And I had to make sure I shunned those. And none of us are above that. None of us are above temptation. And every single one of us need to do a checkup from the neck up in every decision that we make, that it would be what God would want us to do, that, that we wouldn't be trying to force something and mold something into it. It's okay to do this. God is very clear and his word is very clear. And we need to, we need to be clear on the word of God. We need to handle the word of God, not as Eve who mishandled the word of God and added to the word of God. It is very important 
to all of us because everything that tempts us travels down these three avenues and it's not going to stop traveling toward us to try to taint our views, to taint our decisions, to taint what we do, to get our focus on God and giving Him the glory and and we kind of want to do what self wants to do. We have to do a checkup from the neck up and Eve um, didn't do that and so that leads us into the trespassing of the covenant pick back up with me in chapter 3 in the middle of verse 6 it says that she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam with his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So here we have a short story and the end of the Edenic covenant because it was a conditional covenant and man did not meet these conditions. And so here man has sinned and ended that covenant. Just a little, just a little thought in all of this. And that is that Adam and Eve both sinned. The focus throughout the Bible and as we look into Romans and other books, we see the emphasis is on Adam and his sin. Eve sinned first, but Adam is the one that's the focus. And that's because he is the one who has tainted the human race. The sin nature passes through the man. That's how we have a perfect, sinless, glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was conceived of the seed of woman and the Holy Spirit of God. But the sin nature passes through the man. And there's something else we see. Look, we see Adam sinned and we see Eve sinned, but we see some differences in their sin. Eve was beguiled. Eve was deceived. And Adam did, as Mufasa told Simba, you have deliberately disobeyed me. Okay? So, so Adam deliberately sinned in disobedience. He knew what he was doing. And Eve was beguiled. And as we close, just something that popped up. I want to take you to 1 Timothy in chapter 2, starting in verse 12. It says, Paul wrote, Okay, Paul's writing to Timothy, and it's the structure of the church. You have older age Paul, and his departure is soon at hand, and you have young Timothy as a preacher, and he needs to pastor the church, and Paul's giving him instructions on doing so. And he says here, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And what did Paul do to back that? 
You know, because 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 there's a lot of heat that comes from people about that in this world today. And there's so many people that are clueless. I've shared that with people before. And they're like, what are you so hot and mad and spitting about? I didn't know there's anything wrong with a woman pastoring a church. Well, well, Paul said right here that she is to not do it. And look how he backed it. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression So unfortunately, look, it's awful when a pastor of a church goes off and and, and, and goes astray and, and, and he sins and he may lead some of the church the wrong way, but he knows what he's doing. He's able to be, if he's a true child of God, by the way, I've known people that have stood in the pulpit and, and called themselves a pastor. They even got in a church and been able to do it and they weren't called of God at all. There's a lot of people that get an ordination online. And my question for them who who mocked me about it was, well, who sent you? Who sent you? How shall they preach except they be sent? But God sends the man. And why does God send the man? God forbid he go astray. But a true child of God, that's a man that will stand in the pulpit, will be convicted. And there's an opportunity for him to get things right. And so it's, I like the way Rick said it one time, uh, the woman preacher or pastor exists, but she's not scriptural or biblical and shouldn't be. But she's, but she's there and the Bible tells us that she can be deceived. And if she's leading a group and she's deceived, she can deceive the whole group. And where can the conviction come in to get things right if they are deceived? That's that's free for nothing there at the end. But but we see in closing the trespass of the covenant. We pick up next Wednesday and it flows right into the adamant covenant. And I'm very excited about this. You pray for me that God helps me to do such a job that that we can that we can chew on these these doctrinal and foundational truths of the Bible that. That we not only share that we know Jesus and He loves us, but we can share God's Word with people with confidence and know these things. Well, uh, with that, we will close Bible study. It was a privilege to be before you tonight. Love you all. Brother Mark Sheffield, would you close us in a word of prayer tonight, sir?